With The Haunting of Hill House, Mike Flanagan created one of the most hauntingly beautiful stories about grief, mental illness, family, and the ghosts that come with all of it. Every character and the performances that come with them are perfectly crafted, allowing you to be completely absorbed by them as you begin to feel like a silent eighth member of the Crane family. Their sorrow, love, and fear are all palpable throughout each episode, and all ten parts of the story are remarkably powerful in their own ways. That is why on our first ever bone-chilling binge minisode, we will be covering season one of Mike Flanagan's The Haunting, The Haunting of Hill House. The girls who cry Yay, one of my favorite shows, honestly, of all time. I'm so excited. Oh, I mean, it's literally my favorite show ever, which, like, it's so wild to me because just, like, I'm sure you remember, like, when it came out, what, two years ago now in October? Mm-hmm. I remember there was, like, all this stuff for it and, like, all these, like, previews, but they were always, like, very, like... Um, what is the word I'm looking for? Like, cryptic, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, they wouldn't give a lot away. Like, I remember there was one where it was, like, them panning through a hallway. I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember it. And they would, like, go past the rooms. Um, and I remember just being, like, you know, okay, I mean, obviously I'm going to watch this show. Like, it's coming out in October. It's a spooky ghost show. Sure. But I think I went into it with really, really low expectations. Interesting. And I don't think I had seen anything of Mike Flanagan's actually that's not true that is not true I had definitely seen Gerald's game and hush mm-hmm. I didn't I don't think I had put together yet that it was the same person right um but yeah and then literally the way that it was not only so much better than I could have hoped for it literally is the the best thing I've ever seen in my whole fucking life and I'm not even being dramatic that's such a nice surprise because I think when I went into it I mean I've I've known Mike Flanagan for a while he's my favorite currently working horror director. I mean, I don't think that he's ever produced something that is less than amazing. I think mm-hmm. all of his films are, I mean, I obviously have my favorites and like the ones I think are my least favorites, but even the ones that I'm like, those are the bottom of my list. They're still better than most people could make. Um, right. So, I mean, I was super stoked. And also The Haunting of Hill House is the only book that has ever actually frightened me. Um, hmm. because I mean, I, obviously we both read like a lot of horror and I feel like with books, it's hard to scare me, but I read, uh, Shirley Jackson's book a little bit before I watched this and it like chilled me to the fucking bone. So I knew the combination of Mike Flanagan and that like, you know, structure and outline was going to be ridiculous. And honestly, it was even better than I could have hoped for because the show combines I mean, he does it in a lot of his work, too. It's pretty much a constant theme throughout all of his films of, like, genuine horror and scary shit, but also family and trauma and grief. And it's just so powerful the way that he can blend all of those themes into one and make it just, like, a big, cohesive, powerful, effective piece of media. Oh, my God. It's so good. I recommend that... Anybody who's listening right now, if you have not already watched this season of The Haunting of Hill House, A, what are you doing? And B, go watch it right now because we are going to talk about it in depth. And this is a show you do not want to be told. You want to watch it because mm-hmm. it's it's just like such an experience. I would do almost anything to watch this show again for the first time. 
me and you both. And I, yeah, to go off that, I'm not even going to recommend. Every other episode that we've done where we're like, oh, we really want you to watch it, so you should watch it. I'm asking you from the bottom of my heart, please go watch this show. Please. Because if you're a horror fan and you have not seen it yet, it is going to be the the most heartbreaking, you know, saddening, but also like gift. It's a gift. And if you are someone that gets scared easily or whatever, I mean, first of all, honeys, it's October. It's a good time to be spooked, okay? Like, it's fun. You're in the safety of your home. It's okay. Watch it with somebody else. Watch it with the lights on if you have to. But like, it is truly so much more than like, oh, just like, you know, a a ghost show. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's not like something, and I saw someone talking about this, where it's like something that makes this show so powerful is the fact that you know now, you know, like in the eighties when you know slashers were the thing that was a mm-hmm. huge thing. Everything was slashers in the eighties, um, and then I think like nineties was like obviously the self aware horror, and now, in the time we're living in, ghosts and demon horror movies are like the thing. They're the hot commodity. You got shit like The Conjuring and Insidious and everything else adjacent to that. Mm-hmm. Where I, and we like those movies, um, at least some of them. And but the thing about those, if you watch them or you look at them, like their ghosts are very in your face. Mm-hmm. It is very jump scare. It is very like when the ghost is seen, it's like horrific and it's running at you and it's screaming or it's like a fucking demon with a red ass face. Like where Hill House, its scares are subtle. Yes, there are some jump scares. Yes, I mean, when you're talking specifically about the bent neck lady, like there's some screaming. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is subtle in the way that it's haunting because yes, there are ghosts. Yes, there are scary things. So it's not like if you really don't want to watch it because it's not scary enough. I promise you it's scary. It literally, when I watched it the first time, kept me up at night when I was watching it in my apartment by myself. Like I was out of nowhere. I was like, there's there's ghosts in here. There are ghosts in here and they're coming and they're going to devour me. Um, but also it would keep me up at night because it would emotionally affect me so much. Like I would be sobbing. Not because I was so scared that I was, like, you know, scarred forever, but because of the the subject matter that it talks about, which you brought up, which is, you know, shit like grief and depression and mental illness and family and how all of that works together and, you know, kind of, like, what is the definition of a ghost beyond just your basic definition of, you know, a spooky figure in the hall at night? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, it's got those. But then it, it begs you to ask yourself, like, can other things be ghosts? Which I know that, like, Steve Crane, the oldest sibling, um, mm-hmm. who doesn't really believe in ghosts for most of the show, um, he proposes that ghosts are other things, like memories and wishes and shit like that, which I think is also really incredible to think about. And I think I haven't read um, Haunting Phil House, so maybe you'd be able to confirm or deny, but from what I know of it, um, I think the whole thing, isn't it, where it's, like, the question of the whole book is like are the ghosts that they're seeing are real or is it something else yeah i mean for the most part he he real mike flanagan really kind of creates his own story with this because the haunting of hill house is i mean yes the main character is named eleanor and it's the hill house and there's a lot of things that he took from it like um you know who's holding my hand i thought someone was with me like like little spooks like the banging on the walls but for overall the storyline is completely original um Mm -hmm. but he definitely he took the structure and the outline of the book and a lot of the ideas from it and he just created something even more profound um so i think that you know there are hints here and there within the book but he really expands it quite a bit in the show Mm -hmm. um 
Oh my god, there's just like so much we could talk How about. How do we but... even begin talking? I feel like we should begin with our cast of people, our characters, our incredible actors. Yes. So honestly, guys, we're not even going to do any fucking handholding for this. Like we just are not because it's too much to get through. It's too much to get through, and also like I'm demanding that you watch the show. So if you're listening to this at this point. You have watched the show. That's what I'm saying. I'm speaking it into existence. Like, I will not, like, first of all, like, I cannot imagine that you want to listen to us talk about an entire television season if you haven't seen it. I'm begging you. I'm begging you to see it. I swear to God, on social media, I'm going to be fucking begging you hoes to watch the show. It's so good. And it's like, if you could do one thing for me this year, one kindness, don't do anything else for me other than watch the show. Well, it honestly, is my favorite show of all time. If you could do time. one thing for yourself, watch the yes. show. Um, like Mike Flanagan, as you said, is like is also my favorite living, currently working horror director. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought you were going to say Ari Aster for yours. Um, well, I do love Ari Aster, but he's only made two feature films. Yeah, 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 yeah. And just, I mean, from Absentia all the way to Doctor Sleep, like I just don't think there's a bad movie in the bunch. And I could watch all of them and like a million times and still be like incredible film so just because he's had so many more you know pieces that he's made and the fact that like for the most part every director has like one stinker at least and I mean yeah Flanagan doesn't I mean so I mean I I just don't know how you can really top him right now he's kind of the the top of the game right now for horror I, I literally adore this man I would do anything to to work with him. To, I would fucking be his, like... The way that, like, my life would be fulfilled if I could be, like, Mike Flanagan's little, like, assistant. <laughs> or his little bitch. Like, like I would shine this motherfucker's shoes with my spit. Like, Just send him your resume every day. Like, I don't know how I would get his contact, but yeah. Me just sending him... A, a different resume that I made more spooky each time. <laughs> I, I put hidden ghosts in the resume. Oh my god, he would love it. Um, But anyway, yeah, so... Our characters are obviously the Crane family, um, both young and old, which is another great thing about the show is that it, it goes, it, it seamlessly moves between past and present to slowly unraveling for the audience and also almost for some parts simultaneously the family themselves. What happened when they were young back in Hill House, like while they were actively living there and then coming to the present and being like, how has what happened affected their lives and brought them to where they are now and their relationships with each other um but do you have a favorite character Alex um yeah I mean I think I feel like a lot of people Nell is my favorite character Uh, Mm -hmm. I mean just in general uh Victoria Pedretti is an incredible actress I think she is gorgeous and amazing and I'm obsessed with her but Nell is just I mean she's kind of the the heart of the show because Mm -hmm. You know, plot-wise, everything is kind of structured around her, but also just because she just is, she's the youngest, she kind of holds everyone together in everyone's relationships, because the rest of the siblings all have problems with each other, and Nell's kind of the constant, Um, and I I just love her so deeply. But just to touch really quickly on, you were saying how they, you know, they have the adult characters and the children characters, and like the parents as they're younger and I just want to say that the casting that was done on this show is some of the most remarkable casting I've seen not only Mm -hmm. because all of the actors are amazing especially the kids but they all look like they would be that person grown up it's astounding like Hugh Crane as like an older man I I fully believe that that is the same person it's 
it's amazing. It's incredible. And I mean, I'm someone who like is obsessed with casting because it's what I wanted to do for a long time. So I always just really admire when it it looks and feels so correct. And I feel like I'm watching real people, you know? The one thing I guess I didn't notice maybe on the first time, which is like maybe my only thing that I would say is like a flaw. Mm -hmm. But then I, I honestly, after I got through a few episodes, I like didn't give a shit anymore. Um, is when they have Henry Thomas, um, who is young Hugh, mm-hmm. who obviously then grows up or grows older to become Timothy Hutton as older Hugh. Mm-hmm. Um, Henry Thomas, I think, maybe has, like, brown eyes um, in real life. But because Timothy Hutton has blue eyes, like, very blue eyes, they put fucking Henry Thomas in these, like, electric blue contacts, which, like, at least in the first, like, episode or two, like are very jarring because they do not look like real eyes um once you like I don't know I just like completely like I just guess didn't register it the first time I was watching I saw I I registered it this time but then once again like after you get through a few episodes it's like there's so much else going on and whatever that like I could not be bothered with like the color of fucking Henry Thomas's eyes at this point it's just funny because it's like why I did not notice because I feel like it looks more natural if you give someone darker contacts. Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't you give Timothy Hutton, like, brown contacts or whatever? Mm-hmm. Like, but also, I mean, Timothy Hutton has beautiful eyes, so. I honestly, I've watched the show through twice and I've never noticed that at all. So, I I mean, clearly you picked up on it. It's so good for you. Um, um, yeah. It, didn't, it did not bother me because I did not notice. But I just, it's just so good. And the kid actors, man. Kid actors mm. are so hard because, I mean, I can't act as a fucking adult woman. I couldn't imagine acting as a child. And they're so good. And so many of the things that they do are, like, would terrify a child. And yet they're just, like, bopping along, having a great fucking time. Ugh. They're amazing. <laughs> Who's your favorite character? My favorite. It's so hard because I feel like, which is another great thing about this show, is they take, obviously, individual episodes at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um to give time to each character yeah i think that's such Um, a creative and it's such a well done way to get each character to have their own like fleshed out story and to yes build their each like personal background and their current day situations it's very very smart and it does it so well because i mean i think for most people like you can appreciate each character which i'm going to get into Mm -hmm. in a second but you know even if like there's a character that you're like i don't particularly care for this character that much every the episode like let's say you get to that's their episode once again mike lennon does such a good job of like clearly making them the highlight of the episode it's their story it's their timeline whatever that we're focusing on for that episode but because we do the flashbacks of the past when they're living in the house you still get the other family members Mm -hmm. and then also in the present you still get the other family members because it's showing you how it's interwoven like or, you know, pushed a wedge between certain people throughout the years and how, how this particular family member interacts with their siblings or whoever. Um, so it, there's never an episode pretty much where, like, it's one person and nobody else is present. Right. So you still get way, the whole family the whole time. You, they do a lot of, like, where you see it from one person's perspective and then when you flip it to, like, the next episode, you get the exact same situation but from someone else's perspective. And I always find that really interesting because everyone has sees everything you know in their own way and so we might see a character doing something and then hear like a yell and we don't know what it is until we get to that character's episode and then we understand it from their point of view and it's it just makes everything so much more fleshed out and like layered and 
just I just I just I'm obsessed with it but sorry continue um no um it's so it really is so hard to pick a favorite character because Mm -hmm. just like you go through each one individually and you're just like you know fuck like they're so good Mm -hmm. I think I mean it's really easy for me to also say uh Victoria Pedretti because I loved her in this uh and then obviously in you season two I was Mm -hmm. like I would die for this woman now like she can do no wrong in my eyes Mm -hmm. I was literally so upset when she was in Shirley for like all but two minutes and it was such a tease. Oh, I yeah, was like, I know. Fucking A. She was just like a girl at a tree. And I was like, why is Victoria Pedretti in this one shot of this film? I need more of her. I know. And then, like, I was like, oh, great. She's going to be in this. And then she, like, never comes back. And I was no. like, what the fuck? Um, but I think for just the sake of having a different answer, I would say probably Luke is my favorite character. Mm-hmm. I mean, Oliver Jackson Cohen as adult Luke, I mean, he's incredibly handsome. Oh, my gosh. So um, cute. He's so cute. Um, I was in such rage because you can like love him so deeply in Hill House and feel so much compassion and empathy for him, and then fucking hate him in The Invisible Man. He has oh my god, yeah. Well, me and Roberto were looking up his social media the other day because we couldn't help ourselves. Um, And before anyone clocks me for being like, why haven't you been following up to this point? I follow very few celebrities for my mental health um, because I become obsessive. Um, mm-hmm. So I can especially confirm. when it's a cute man, Alex can attest to that. So yes. like I literally have to do it for my own safety. Um, but he had this post of him and Elizabeth Moss like lying in like their bed in the movie that like he took a selfie and like the caption is like, I cannot stand her. And it's like the two of them smiling. <laughs> uh, and then this morning, Roberto sent me a tweet that was like someone with a clip from the Bad Girls Club, that clip where the girl comes in, she's like, guess who's back, bitches? Mm-hmm. And like the other girl at the top of the stairs is like, oh my god! And they like run to each other. It was like um, Victoria Petretti coming back to Blind Manor and seeing like Oliver Jackson Cohen there. And he fucking like quote tweeted it and was like actual real life footage. Oh my god, I love him. <laughs> I love him. But yeah, um, as Luke, he gives an incredible performance. Mm-hmm. Um, the episode... That is Luke's. What is the name of it here? Um, oh, uh, the twin thing. Mm-hmm. In which we see, up until this point in the show, we've only seen that, like, okay, adult Luke is a drug addict. And his siblings are kind of over his shit. Which, when we were watching, and it's easy to feel, which this is another interesting about his character and what he brings and his his uh, personal demons and issues bring, is, like... Um, Obviously, he's a drug addict, and we kind of get that, like, over the years, he's been in and out of facilities because he'll go in, and then he'll he'll flee, or he'll get out, and then he'll use again. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's his siblings' money um, that puts him in there, and they're kind of tired of it. They're like, you know, how many times can we do this? Like, you know, it has to be you that makes a decision. So it's really easy, as we're, especially in his episode, when you see how much he's suffering and he's struggling with addiction, and obviously when he has, like, kind of that girlfriend in there. And when she, like, flees and he goes after her, um, you feel his pain, you feel his struggle, and you feel so bad for him. And you're like, oh, my God, like, how could they be so, like, you know, mean to him and dismissive of him? Um, because, like, oh, my God, I just want to cradle this this man in my arms and take <laughs> care of him forever. Um, especially, like, oh, something about a man in Converse does something to me. <laughs> like, I don't so know random. what the fuck it is. I really don't even know. But, like, he literally was wearing black Converse, and the second I clocked them, I was like, I would fucking drink sewage water for you. Like, oh, my God. Um, And then, of course, near the end of his episode, he gets, like, mugged, and Mm -hmm. they steal his shoes, and he's, like, walking around in socks, and I was, like, fucking devastated. I was, like, crying. (laughs) I was like, not the shoes. Um, 
Oh my god, literally what the fuck was I even gonna talk about? I got so distracted by the shoes. What the fuck was I talking about? You were just about? talking about how much you love Luke and you care for him and I everyone else is mean to him. I was gonna make and then I got so distracted by You're like the everyone shoes. is mean oh. to Luke and I love him and I will take care of him. Yes, being mean. Um Jesus Christ. Um but then also like and you see it from the other end of the spectrum, which I think not to be like you guys wouldn't understand, but like I think people maybe that don't have siblings <clears throat> maybe don't understand all this, which is why I think this has such a great effect on me. I don't have four siblings. I only have three other siblings. And Jesus. I'm sorry. Siblings. You have two, two other siblings. siblings. <laughs> LOL. There's one that's a secret in the attic. Oh, no. Um, anyway, um, I have two other siblings. I am a middle child like Theo. Um, but, um, like, it, it's so easy to understand that in the, their side of the story, too, where it's like, you know, your siblings, like, they're your family. You love them. Mm-hmm. You, you, for the most part, unless I'm sure, like, they did something awful. But, like, it's that thing, and I do it the whole show, where it's, like, your siblings could do really awful shit to you, and, like, maybe other people's experiences are different. This is just me speaking on my own experience. But, like, at the end of the day, you know that you're always going to love them, and you're always going to do anything you can to protect them and to save them. But with the Luke thing, I, I get the frustration of it's, like, it's really easy to be, like, they're being so mean to him. But you also have to understand, like, everything that they've gone through as well in the show, which is why it's so layered. You you see every character is so fleshed out in the sense of, like, you see and you feel their hurt and their struggle and you care for them and you want the best for them. But then it will also give you the flip side where it will give you everybody's, like, flaws or, mm-hmm. you know, baggage or things that make maybe loving them or caring for them more difficult, whether it be, you know, Luke's drug addiction now with like her horrible untreated depression um you have fucking theo who's like emotionally withdrawn um uh oh my god shirley who like She's is a control, a control freak, freak. Yeah. yeah and then of course you have steve who one refuses to listen to anybody else he thinks he's always right and beyond that he exploited the whole family mm-hmm. when he posted published his The Haunting of Hill House book in which he talks about all the ghosts and shit which pissed off his family because not only was he putting their, you know, childhood that was very tragic on blast, but on top of that, he has outwardly told them all the time that he never believed in any of the ghosts. Mm-hmm. They were just seeing things. But then when the came, when the time, I can't speak, when the time came to make money, mm-hmm. oh, suddenly, yeah, he believes them. He's going to put them all in his books. Um that was a long tangent, me talking about Luke. But yeah, and then even the young child actor that does Luke is, oh, he's I think, so debatably cute. my favorite of the children. This um, young actor, Julian Hilliard, I think that's how you say it, but he's in this. Um, he's in Color Out of Space, which we both liked. Oh, I didn't um, see Color Out of Space yet. You didn't but... see it yet? Maybe I'm thinking no. of Roberto. Oh my God. I have he's not watched it. In Color yet. Out of Space, it's so good. Um, he's also in the comedy from 2019, yes, Greener Grass, which is like this weird, bizarro. Mm-hmm fucking almost like david lynch at times-esque comedy um and it's really good he's like really fucking funny in it but i love this little child i want the best for him um i know some people hate child actors i feel like i fall on offense of being like i will either desperately want to adopt you and wish you nothing but sunshine and love or you're the most annoying child i've ever seen in my life get out of my sight um yeah, but I feel yeah. like all the tra- children actors that Mike Flanagan works with, because, I mean, obviously all the Hill House character, um, actors and obviously my son, Jacob Tremblay, are all oh like, my God, the yeah. most amazing. Like, I want all of them to be my children. I want to take care of them. I want to hang out with them. I want to play with them. I love them all. See, I feel like it's very interesting because you said that Luke is your favorite, both young and old, and Nell is my favorite, both young and old, because she's so 
goddamn she's cute. She's so cute. I mean, just the two of them together. I, it's it's hard to pick one because they are so connected in their characters, and you know, they have the twin thing, so they kind of feel like a package deal. So, well, like in that sense, like, I mean, I love Luke just as much as I love Nell, but if I had to pick, I would pick Nell. Like, and I'm gonna this is gonna hopefully segue into mm-hmm. my next question I have for you. But like, speaking of like the twins together, like it's it's so adorable. It's so adorable. Um, and obviously, like they literally talk about having a twin thing because mm-hmm. like when Nell is on her path to going to, back to Hill House, like she's really concerned for Luke. She feels like he's really in danger. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but then also in Luke's episode he kind of, like, can sense that something is wrong with Nell and that something has happened. And when he gets told, like, Nell is dead, he immediately says, like, it wasn't suicide. I know it wasn't suicide. Like, well, I think that's that part is so powerful because leading up until when he finds out, I mean, she's been dead for almost a full day and he doesn't know. And the mm-hmm. ent- throughout his episode, he's, you know, getting colder. He's looking like he just took drugs. So everyone thinks that he fell off the wagon because he's like mm-hmm. looking really sick. He says to Steve when he finally sees him, my limbs are so stiff. I feel cold because he is feeling the way that she feels, which is dead. And it's so terrifying to know that like in that moment, he doesn't understand what's going on and why he's feeling these ways. And then when he finds out that she's dead, I'm sure it clicked for him. And it's just so terrifying to me that you know he could feel the way that she feels in death it's like beyond anything it's so scary mm-hmm. and then obviously you even have theo saying that when she because mm-hmm. her whole thing is like she can touch people and feel like shit through her psychic abilities about them when she touches nell's dead body in the morgue that shirley owns and works at um she then later is talking about how um when she touched her, she felt nothing. She felt like the void and the darkness of death. And then not only did that scare the shit out of her because she couldn't then for several days get herself to feel anything again, but then she was so sad. And this is like such an... We're going on so many tangents, but it was just inevitable. Um, That, you know, she thinks like, is that what it's like? Is that what it's like, death? And then because of that, you have to think about like, you know, her dead mother and now her Mm -hmm. dead sister. Like, is that where they're stuck? Is that what they're going to feel forever? And that devastating thought. And I'm someone personally that in a very morbid way, I think about death a lot, even if it's like I don't want to. And something I always think about is like, you know, what is after death? Which obviously is a huge reason why people have faith and things like that for comfort. And I, you know, to each their own. Um, I feel like I've always like, I don't want to say struggled, but like, you know, I'm not an atheist, but I also wouldn't say that I'm particularly like Christian or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. I believe that there is something after death, but because there is a not knowing Mm-hmm. until it happens I do have thoughts sometimes where I'm like well what if there's nothing right and then my brain can't even process it because it just like can't maybe because it's too dark or it's too scary or whatever but I'm like literally what if there's nothing after death and then like so of course in that scene when Theo's sobbing on the ground outside the car after mm-hmm. one of the best jump scares of the whole fucking series um you know it's beyond her being scared for her own death it's like people that she loved that she's already had to say goodbye to too Mm -hmm. soon and that's already hard enough then there's the horrible thought of like and what if where they are is so dark and so alone and so scary and we can't help them there's nothing we can do for them now like that's such a crippling thought um and i feel like this series presents so many questions and thoughts like that that like will destroy you but like i honestly welcome it if it's going to be like something that like actually makes me think intelligently 
for like once. <laughs> um, so yeah, I know that some people like this show, they couldn't do it all or they couldn't do it like like I watched this the first season I think in like three days the first time. I didn't binge it like I do when a new Stranger Things season comes out where I watch it all in one day. Um, mainly because I wanted to really, really savor this. But even still, I watched it in three days. I know some people, they can't do that because they think it's too dark and it's too heavy and that's valid. I personally was like, yeah, it's dark. It's really heavy. And it's like emotionally fucking hurting me. Like, and making me feel so many things and it's overwhelming. Um, but I almost welcome that just because I feel like not to shit on any other kind of TV or any other show. But like there is a lot of TV now and it's very easy to binge shit and digest shit really easily that's really, you know, easily digestible. Where like I almost welcome something that like really, really had an effect on me and made me feel like I feel like I was waiting for a really long time to feel like that while watching a show again and mm-hmm. this provided it. Absolutely. Did you say you had a question you were going to ask me? Yes, after that long ass fucking thing <laughs> I just took. Jesus. Um, well, I was going to say, which I didn't even get to the fucking thing that I was going to use to use the question, which is when we were talking about the twin thing in mm-hmm. the final episode, which is we both sent each other Snapchats of us like drenched in tears. Um, yeah, it was a rough one. It's rough. It doesn't even matter that we'd already seen it. Like, No, I think it was he- worse going this time around, honestly. I, I think so too I don't <sighs> think I cried as hard as I did because it's worse because then like this time you know it's coming and you yeah. know the pain mm-hmm. and it's like so much of it is just like what the characters are saying to each other mm-hmm. like and I'm just like stop because at this oh. point like it almost feels like you're a part of this family mm-hmm. and I know at least for me like even beyond that it's because I have you know I don't have a huge family but like I have a mom and a dad and two other siblings so I have like you know parents and siblings and all that jazz and whatever and we all got our fucking issues like if you have siblings or family like you know um but like so then of course I'm imagining my family in this and shit like that and like having to say goodbye to certain members of my family and blah 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 and it's just like oh my god it wrecked me but there's a scene when Nell's ghost is with them in the red room and she's talking to Luke and she says like you have to keep going you have to keep living and then he of course you know like barely alive is like I don't know how I can do it without you and when I tell you bitch I was like I was crying so hard I thought I was choking (laughs) like it was so bad and I was like so grateful because I had started my rewatch with my roommates Roberto and Abby and then I needed to finish it before Bly Manor which is the day we're recording it is the day that Bly Manor has come out um and not only for and also for this episode so I finished the last three episodes rewatch on my own and honestly I'm thankful I did only because of how disgusting Mm -hmm. I looked when I was like (laughs) fucking dry heaving and sobbing and I was like oh yeah definitely good that I did this in the private of my fucking bedroom and not with everybody around me but my question was going to be because I brought up episode 10 Mm -hmm. what was um your favorite episode or the episode that you had like the deepest effect on you or whatever sure well I will say just to touch on episode 10 um because you were just talking about it um yeah i i sobbed so many times in that Mm -hmm. last episode i cried the entire scene that nell is with them in the red room i every time that my tears dried and i went okay i'm okay i'm good something would happen in the next scene and it would fucking send me so thank you mike flanagan for just destroying me just every every emotion i have was just wrecked Uh, it was really tough um yeah there are i mean i feel like i i personally feel like the first five episodes and the second five episodes are like almost their own thing because the Mm -hmm. first five episodes are so much each sibling's 
own story and then the, the other five are kind of like them all coming together so I'm if I had to pick I'm I prefer the first five episodes um mm-hmm. just because I think that they are so meticulously well done and as much as it destroys me I think my favorite episode is episode five which is the bet neck lady yes. because in general the bet neck lady is in my opinion the scariest ghost um and Nell is my favorite character and it was her episode but just because okay in the first episode you learn that Nell has committed suicide and so you watch four episodes of her siblings you know pretty much learning that she has died and leading up to the funeral and so by the time you get to her episode you just want to know what the fuck has happened like what is the truth what is going on and when you get the revelation of who the bent neck lady is it's just like it's such a gut punch and it's so terrifying and devastating and you're just like you love Nell so deeply and to see that the ghost that has been haunting her her entire life which has you know caused so much pain is herself is mm-hmm. oh my fucking god it's awful the first time I watched it I was obviously upset as the episode went on with her husband and just like watching her descend into that final moment where she accidentally kills herself but watching it this time through knowing everything that was going to happen knowing that she was the bent neck lady knowing that her husband was going to die that she was going to lose everything like I cried from the moment the episode started to the moment the episode ended like I did not stop crying it is so devastating Mm -hmm. but at the same time like it I would I would so much rather watch an episode of television or a film that is powerful and yes. can make me feel that deeply. It's I don't care that it fucking broke my heart because bravo, good good fucking job. It's mm-hmm. just everything about that episode is incredible and that last moment when she steps off the ledge and breaks her neck and then it does that moment of her then falling into all the moments of her life where she saw the bent neck lady where Mm -hmm. she it falls and she's at the vending machine at the hotel it falls and she's above herself on the couch yelling no 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 all the way to her first time that she sees her as a child screaming oh my god just like who who thinks of that who can come up with something that incredible and that devastating and just gut punching i just i just have to say bravo and also fuck you (laughs) right and like there's so much as we talked about in this show that like is an allegory for shit like depression Mm -hmm. and all that which like this is a minisode and that would take us far too long to really dive into all of that um like you could make a fucking college course around that shit in this show specifically Mm -hmm. um so I definitely encourage, um, if you have watched the show and you want to, I guess, um, you know, there are, I'm sure at this point, like many an article, many a YouTube video dissecting that and really exploring that, um, and probably taking the proper time to do it, which we do not have in this minisode. Um, so definitely check those out because it will only deepen your appreciation for this fucking masterpiece. I'll mm-hmm. fucking say it. Like, um... But what you're saying is so true about the first five episodes because the first five episodes, like, when it's kind of, like, the individual episodes for each of the Crane kids, mm-hmm. um, 
it also because not only because they're kind of like different because then from that point on it's kind of like intermixing everyone's stories but because the first eight episodes they take place over the same chunk of time yeah. because they each keep going back to like before Nell killed herself um because I think each one kind of ends around the moment that she kills herself yeah. and like they like all wake up in bed um so they are different because it's all like okay we're, we're still doing this chunk of time and we're doing it again and we're doing it again not like in a repetitive annoying way but like with somebody else now you're getting this part of that story and this part of that story and mm-hmm. then after you get to those five it's like okay now we're all caught up now you got everybody's ish now we're gonna move forward with everybody right so that's like the second five um but and yeah the bent neck lady episode is easily a standout i mean you could say that about really all of them but like because obviously Nell's death is the catalyst for them, them having to come together and really address not only what's been going on with all of them in current times, but once again, what happened in that house the night that their mother died. Um, so that episode really, really brings everything together before we really start moving forward. And everything you're saying, it's devastating. They literally build you up the whole episode with, you know... One, giving you all those bent neck lady scenes so that when they fucking pull that shit at the end, you're like, oh my God. Because mm-hmm. obviously when you know it going in the second time, it's still devastating. But it, almost what like you said at the beginning of the episode where you're like, I wish I could go back and see this for the first time again. Because I was watching it with Roberto, that episode, who obviously has not seen it. And when that reveal happens, he literally was like, he like gasped. And then, like, we couldn't watch any more episodes that night because he was, like, literally destroyed. I was like, oh, I mean, I I get it. I totally get it. Um, But, yeah, they build her up. They give her this, like, the cutest, sweetest husband. We, like, see her wedding. She's so happy. Like, and also, like, honestly, like, because Steve's kind of being a butthead the whole fucking series, (laughs) like, you get to a degree where he's coming from, but he is, like, you know, of course, like, the big brother, and he knows best, and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, oh, shut up, Steve. But, like, I love the scenes of him at Nell's wedding. Mm-hmm. because he was just being like so sweet not that he's not sweet but like being so sweet and being so silly and that's when they find out that Theo's a lesbian mm-hmm. um and it's just like the fucking shot where like they're what Steve and Nell are watching Shirley <laughs> yeah. figure out that Theo's a lesbian it's so funny so fucking funny I was like laughing way too fucking loud um but yeah um I think that's an excellent answer what is your? I, I, I'm pretty confident I know what your favorite episode is, but I'm going to ask you anyway. What's your favorite episode? My favorite episode is episode six, Two mm-hmm. Storms. Yes. Um, that is, because, I mean, arguably the most impressive episode. Yes. Um, I mean, just technically, it's the most impressive episode, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, you can look up this video as well, and I highly recommend it. If you've watched the show, it's really, really cool and interesting. They released this, like, how they did it, because I think I was remembering it slightly wrong from the first time I watched it. Um, it's not an episode where the entire thing is one take, which is how I remembered it. Um, the episode is made up of, like, several of these, like, 15-minute long one takes. Mm -hmm. They do have, like, moments where they, like, cut, and it's like, oh, fuck, they cut. I wish they had kept going. Um, but it's these 15-minute long takes, and essentially the premise is, like, it's an episode that is very much, like, hopping between past and present. Two storms are happening. One in the past at Hill House. This giant storm that cuts the power. And all the kids are scared. And you literally, like, the, the camera just tracks them all, like, in this main hall as they, like, come in and out. And different things are happening. And they're trying to close all the windows. And Nell goes missing. And all this other shit. Well, then simultaneously in the present, 
they're at the funeral home they're all seeing Nell's body in the casket before the funeral and the next day and a storm hits and the power goes out but even before that happens there's family turmoil because this is the first time they've all been back together in the same room all the literally since they were very young mm-hmm. I mean Nell isn't alive but she's also physically there and then her ghost is obviously there at points um but so on that aspect of like the way that they just like continue do these 15 minute shots is really really impressive and really really cool and it allows you to like really sit in those moments with these characters in both in the past and the present mm-hmm. and just exist with them which like just adds to like the incredible character work that is done in the show in both the writing and the acting um But even beyond that, just, like, what's happening in the show, because of the fact that this is the first time they've all been back together, like, and because, you know, you would think that, like, oh, well, they're seeing their dead sister, so they're all going to be civil. As someone that, um, as I said, is part of a family with siblings, that's not the motherfucking case. Like, when something has happened, like, devastating, emotionally, like, heavy or whatever, everything is going to come to the surface because everyone is just, like, on edge. Mm -hmm. And so it isn't shocking that then in this time, Steve essentially tries to come for his father, being like, what did Nell actually say to you before she died? Because you also lied to us about what happened to mom and all this other shit. And, like, Luke's there and he's, like... Everyone isn't fully believing yet that he's... They're like, I think maybe he is 90 days sober, but they're not sure. You know, Theo's getting drunk. It comes out that they all took Steve's blood money, which is the money he offered them in royalties for the book because he knew they were all upset about it, Mm -hmm. which surely, as a control freak... Like, you're just getting everyone's shit all at once in one episode, which you were getting individually in their own episodes, but now you're getting it together and you're finally seeing, like, how do these personalities and these character traits, like, clash Mm -hmm. um, within this family structure and then cutting back to the storm when they were younger before they were old enough to maybe have all these layers of bullshit. So I just think the layering and on top of, like, the technical stuff, it's really, really good. And, of course, who doesn't love in a horror show, like, a spooky, spooky storm? Um... And you get two of them in this episode. So I would say that, you know, episode six, Two Storms, is my favorite. Because then obviously that becomes, like, the driving force then going forward in the next six episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, or not six, uh, four, five episodes. And then I think, obviously, we both talked about um, episode ten, which is just, like... I know that some people had issues with the ending. I think they thought it was, like, too cheesy or whatever, I personally did not feel that way. I mean, the first time going in, I had no idea what to, what to expect from the show. So every minute in every episode, I was just there for the ride. I didn't have any predictions of what was going to happen at all. So I think that's a good way to go in. Maybe people were disappointed because maybe it's something to do with the book. I don't know. I haven't read it. Um, also, maybe because they were assuming how it's going to end or like had put something in their mind. And then when it didn't end that way, it can always be disappointing no matter what you're watching. Um, well, I but have I didn't a few find it to say about the ending for sure. Yeah, go for it. Uh, well, like I said, the this has really nothing to do with the actual book, so you can't really compare the two. Um, but I see personally, I mean, it, yeah, sure, it's a cheesy ending. If you, I guess you can say that because it, they live happily ever after, sure. But I also feel like he spends 10 episodes kind of just ripping your soul out and. If I had gotten anything but them all, like, moving on with their lives and, like, understanding their past and kind of, you know, becoming okay with themselves as a whole, you know, who, with who they are and as a family, 
it, it wouldn't have been satisfying but also you do have devastation in the end you do lose more characters and mm-hmm. there's a there's a fun theory out there i don't know if i really buy it but i think it leaves it a little bit more up in the air ambiguous where mm-hmm. in the final episode when each of them are in the red room and they're in their own little fantasy world where they think that they're like somewhere else they don't realize they're in the red room there's mm-hmm. a there is one piece of you know some article of clothing or item that is red which is to signify that they are in the red room so you know steve's it's his shirt luke it's the balloon that the heroine's in theo it's the lingerie on her girlfriend and shirley it's i think she's also in a red shirt isn't yeah she? it's a red shirt so that's always like a way for you to know that they are in the red room and it has been noted at that at the very end of the show when they are celebrating luke's two-year sobriety the cake is red so people like to think, well, maybe they didn't actually get out. Maybe Lucas, maybe Luke died in the red room. He's still there. You know, I don't think that, but I love that they did that. So like, there's a little ambiguity of like, ooh, this is red. Is this real? Is this not real? We never know. I mean, it could be questioned then, did they all die in the red room? Exactly. Like, if they're all there together at that mm-hmm. party, and then, like, obviously they're all getting these happy endings, which, like, maybe that's what the Red... I mean, that's what they said, like, you know, when Nell was explaining to them that the Red Room, it was everybody's different room. It was the treehouse. It was the mm-hmm. game room. It was the reading room. And she said, like, it, it disguised itself to make you comfortable and make you feel safe mm-hmm. while it's feeding on you. So if that theory did prove to be true, which we'll never know, the whole point is just it could be ambiguous. Right. Um, it would make sense that it's like, oh, well, then they went on and they had happy lives, you know. Which is why I don't think you can say it's cheesy because it's kind of left up in the air. Like, either you take this as a happy, satisfying ending or you take it the dark way of, like, I don't think that any of them escaped. I think that the house took them all and they're all just trapped in this fake existence in the Red Room. Yes, and a few other things I want to say about the Mm -hmm. finale and then we should wrap this up. I don't want to wrap it up. I know. The way that we should have done a fucking, I mean, the the way that this could not be fully addressed unless we did like a fucking five hour episode. I do Um, have one, I do have one question I would like to ask you before we wrap up, but continue. Yeah, I mean, if we go a little over, we go a little over. This is is the wild west out here, okay? We do what we want. Um, But on this, this, the topic of it being, you know, cheesy or whatever, um, it's one is just like kind of going back to like how a lot of the ghost media today is very in your face is very like you know horrifying in a different way it's like how can we make this demon look like you know a fucking creature straight out of hell or some mm-hmm. shit but in a lot of those movies you know it, it there is that ambiguity at the end more in your face as well whether it be because it's setting it up for a sequel or it's you know be like it it wants to leave you on a tragic note where it's like they didn't all survive it isn't that awful where it's just like this show I know some people have also uh my friend Cornelia she doesn't care for the show she referred to it as grief porn um which I don't think is invalid if that's how you feel I mean yeah sure and it definitely does give you grief every episode but this doesn't feel like it's doing it to be like edgy or like like some horror movies do where it's just like oh my god what's the most devastating twist we can deliver the audience Mm -hmm. this feels like yeah it's a story that's literally about grief it's about grief and how we handle it and how it haunts us especially as a family unit so yeah there's gonna be grief layered throughout it like and tragedies often like uh, some people say they come in threes and shit like that so they Mm -hmm. aren't just standalone so like Obviously, it might also feel like there's a lot because you're going between 
years ago and the present. So when you have both of them in the same episode, it might feel like it's stacked with tragedy or whatever. But I feel like the whole show is filled with this shit. So kind of as you're saying, like, if then the ending was this, like, huge blow, I mean, it is, but in the way of being, like, and yes, we're, we're blatantly telling you they all died or, you know, this horrible thing happened and it just left it on that really sour note. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I would still really love the show, but there would still be, there would be a sense of like, oh, and maybe it, it would then feel maybe a, a bit more mean spirited. And at that point I might've felt like, okay, I guess the whole thing was just grief porn for the sake of just like being sad. We're having that conclusion of them like having yes to say do more sad things and feel more sad things but really come together and like fully face this stuff and move on with their lives Mm -hmm. felt more satisfying in the perfect way um but as you're saying like you know still shit happens like the whole thing with their dad which I remember from the first time I was like he definitely like stays in the house with the mom like Mm -hmm. dies there like on purpose but when they put the girls in the car and he's like oh me and Steve have to still do something back in the house and they all leave and he's like you know I think it's best you didn't tell them I had like forgotten like in my head I was like okay I don't fully remember like is Steve does he ask Steve to like kill him or something or or whatever and then they're literally just casually talking about like what happened the night their mom died and then they literally come upon the dad's already dead body lying on the floor. He like took all of his pills. Mm-hmm. So this entire time he's been a ghost. And it, it's just like so devastating because like once again like I think about like what I would do um, if my father died which is so sad um, and I'm like literally fucking like sobbing at midnight watching this. Um, but then on top of that it's just like the whole sense of like they didn't even – in one way they didn't even get to say goodbye to him Mm -hmm. but then they did because they were talking to his ghost it's just like so layered and like it is still slightly dark because then he tells steve like it's now your responsibility this house you have to essentially keep people away we don't want any more people coming here and living here and having the house feed on them um but will I mean their ghosts will always be there and blah blah and then of course you have the groundskeepers um they're old now and he brings his wife into the, that one. I full, yeah. I fully forgot about that and when one. That happened. I was like, "Holy mother of God, I'm a broken woman." That was one of the last ones where I was like, "Okay, I think I'm good." And then he fucking carries her in, and I was just like, "Nope," sobbing. Ugh. Yeah, like literally carries her in so she can die in there, and then they literally immediately there she is, young and fresh again, mm-hmm. holding their baby that was stillborn that lived in the house as a spirit and their little daughter that was poisoned um and like she's just so happy and she's glowing and he's fucking sobbing as this old man and I was like y'all got me fucked up um but yeah and then like this episode specifically when Nell was talking about how the house feeds and like kind of the whole time the dad being like it's the house it's the house and like they don't want to believe him it's very similar to then obviously what Mike Flanagan did after this which was Dr. Sleep which other people had issues with I love Dr. Sleep um I think it's once again he as you were saying he's so good at addressing like broader topics Mm -hmm. Uh, and things like grief or depression or specifically in Dr. Sleep it's talking about like substance abuse and addiction um which obviously he he tackled a little bit with Luke in Hill House but so doing that in a way that plays perfectly with the horror and everything that's going on in the story um because obviously they use it as Danny Torrance addressing his father and what not only what his father did in The Shining but the fact that his father um was an alcoholic and shit like that um and 
but also the idea of like you could say that Hill House in its own way is like um, the Overlook because you know they talk about how the Overlook itself mm-hmm. is like the monster and it feeds on people and it feeds on people that shine where like Hill House is the, the thing that's feeding on people and drives people to madness or whatever and then thus leading them to die and their spirits living in the house forever mm-hmm. um, so yeah just so much good shit going on um and that's all I think I had to say about sure. the finale, other than, of course, now her wonderful line talking about how, like, everything everything else is confetti. Mm-hmm. Um, I fucking love this show. It's so well. It's just so well written, too, above everything else. Like, so profound and not, like, in a pretentious way ever. It, sound, it just feels very natural and genuine and just so, so well spoken. Um, well, someone's called it This Is Us, except with ghosts and actually good. <laughs> and I've never seen This Is Us, but from what I know of This Is Us and, like, the family structure in that and, like, the way that they do the show, I was like, that's kind of crazy accurate, I feel like. See, I don't watch This Is Us, but from what I've seen, Greg used to watch it. Um, I feel like if I was going to call anything grief porn, I feel like This Is Us would be it because that's kind of feels like a show that's just like, oh, we want to make you cry. We want to devastate you as much as we can. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the only other thing I would like to discuss before we wrap up is I think mm-hmm. that we would be remiss. And honestly, our, you know, our license as horror people should be revoked if we do not bring up the incredible Carla Gugino and her performance in this show and the ghosts in general. Um, because, well, as with all the five siblings, we get a Carla Gugino as... Um, their mother episode in episode nine screaming memes um mm-hmm. Liv gets her own episode we finally see you know everything that she has been experiencing in the house as she has slowly descended into this madness and we see what happened the night that she died which has just been speculation up until this point um and i think something obviously that you know about that pretty much anybody that watched the show knows is that scattered throughout every episode mike flanagan hid ghosts in shots where like they would be you know, behind a character in the mirror or they would be under a piano. And mm-hmm. it's just so well done because they're the ghosts are always there. They're never gone. It's always just, like, in the periphery and it makes it so scary. Um, but, I mean, on top of everything from the grief and the trauma and everything that's just heartbreaking in the story, the ghosts are also genuinely terrifying and Mm -hmm. i i mean as i've already said the bentonic lady is my favorite ghost i think it's haunting and spooky and the jump scare that you're talking about i think episode eight um when they're driving to the house where nell does the jump scare in the car i yes the first time i saw that i was sitting on my couch my cat craven was on my lap because she's a, a lap cat and i swear to god i threw her across the room because I am not someone that jump scares get, and that shit was so well done. A jump scare in the middle of a sentence, in the middle of a fight, when you're so focused on the characters, is genius because it's the last thing you ever expect. Right. Oh my god. And like, when you can, I just, I feel like jump scares can be really cheap, like you were talking about earlier. And because he only uses them a couple times, they're so effective. Um, but in uh, Liv's episode, we get to see pretty much all of the ghosts that she has been encountering in addition to like the bowler hat man that Luke has an episode with 
Um, so I just was, wanted to get your insight. Is there a, any particular ghosts that you found really provocative or interesting? Um, did you have anything you wanted to talk about? Liv's character? Um, anything like that? Well, I mean, I mean, for sure. I mean, Bent Neck Lady is an OG. Bad bitch. Um, real good. I think, because um, a lot of the ghosts too, like there's definitely ghosts that come to the forefront where we actually like see them interacting with the characters and then like mm-hmm. shit where you're talking about hidden ghosts or even when they're talking about um, in the Witness Marks episode, which I think is episode eight, when um, he was telling Steve like, you did see a ghost and you never realized it. Like uh-huh. there was no guy fixing the clock. That was a ghost. Mm-hmm. I didn't hire someone to do that. Um, so it's shit like that where it's really just like someone standing there doing a mundane task and you don't even realize. Um, I mean... I think debatably one of the really scary ghosts is in the one when Luke wants to ride the dumbwaiter as a yeah. child and it oh, goes yeah. down to the basement and his light is flickering and then this like literally like looking mangled corpse looking thing crawls out from behind some boxes and is coming toward him. But I think overall I'm really fascinated by the bowler hat ghost just because it's this motherfucker that is like seven foot hovering mm-hmm. off the ground and the, we see him in the one episode – I think it's, yeah, Luke's episode, uh, the twin thing, for the mm-hmm. first time, where earlier in the episode, his mom found this box of shit, and there's a hat in it, this big bowler hat, and Luke wants to have it. They tell him he can, and then that night, he, like, hears shit, and he goes out in the hall, and it's just, like, and the thing about the show is that, like, you're saying, you said it before, like, it uses jump scares sparsely, which is great, but on top of that, like, they don't do any of the thing where it's like, okay, now we bring in the violin strings or things mm-hmm. like that, which not to shit on that because sometimes that works really well and effectively. Um, but in this, it's like there's so much silence. Like, you could yeah. be seeing something completely horrifying, but the whole scene, it doesn't make a sound. Mm-hmm. And that's really effective because it's like, it feels more real in that way. We're like, well, yeah, if I saw this shit in my house, you know, I'm not going to hear the fucking band playing behind me or the orchestra. Like, it's going to be dead fucking silent. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to be me sitting in my silence and my horror. Um, so I think that works really well. But yeah, I just remember like rewatching it and that motherfucker is just like hovering and Luke freaks out and he like runs into his room. And you see that what this, this motherfucker was looking for was his bowler hat mm-hmm. that Luke had. And it's just so terrifying. Like, and of course, like, as he's leaving the room, Luke, like, sighs too soon. And then the dude comes back and, like, looks for him under the bed. And it's just, like, I literally was sitting there out loud being, like, no. No. Fuck no. Um, absolutely not. Like, I don't, I don't fuck with that. Get the fuck away from me. Like, that was so scary to me just because, like, I think for most people, if something looks not right, it's automatically scary so this dude being like outrageously tall he's like thin but also he has these wild broad shoulders like he's wide but thin and really tall and he's hovering off the ground like the Mm -hmm. other ghosts will like walk they don't really hover that much it looks like this motherfucker is like floating and i was like absolutely not No, no 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 um so I'd say he probably was my my favorite ghost other than Bent Neck Lady because once mm-hmm. you realize that Bent Neck Lady is Nell, it just takes on another form. Yeah. It just becomes like now it's just devastating rather than scaring me as much because I know that it's Nell. Although obviously you're saying the jump scare in the car, even that is effective because like, yeah, it's a great jump scare, but like it is, it's not even a jump scare for jump scare's sake. 
Like, yeah, it works really well and they put it at a great spot, but it is like a scene where these two sisters, Nell's two sisters, are fighting and are at each other's throats. So mm-hmm. Nell from the other side, who's kind of been trying to reach out to them to save them and to help them and to help them save each other, essentially like gets in their face and like screams almost to be like, shut the fuck up. Mm-hmm. Um, but speaking specifically about um, Olivia, the mother character, I mean, yeah, in the Screaming Mimics episode, when we finally get like, yes her descent into I guess insanity or whatever you want to call it and her what she's been seeing the whole time but just the idea once again the the broader idea that's presented is as a mother how protective you are of your children and Mm -hmm. how when this other ghost Mimi or whoever um is like putting ideas in her head where she's like her name is Poppy why did I fucking think it was Mimi? It's Bitch, because like the episode's a... calling Screaming Screaming Mimi's. Mimi's. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was like, Jesus. Yep, that makes um, sense. <laughs> well, there was an episode where I literally thought someone's name was something and it wasn't even in relation to anything we've been talking about. And I was like, okay, I guess I am losing my mind. Anyway, probably putting this, these ideas in her head of like, you know, well, you know, if you put them out in the world, like it's going to devour them. Like mm-hmm. the world is unforgiving and blah, blah, blah. Which I think is something that most mothers probably think about with young children is that, you know, one day they're going to grow up. And one day they're going to have to go face scary things on their own and wanting to always be able to protect them from that but knowing that you won't be able to. Like it gets to a point where your kids do grow up and they have to learn on their own and, and fend for themselves. But then beyond that thing as a mother, then there's also, and she says it I think in the last episode where she's like, if you take them from me, if you leave, I'm going to be all alone again. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, there's also like empty nest syndrome and shit like that where it's like once your kids leave and, you know, Yes, at a certain point in your life, it probably was just you and your spouse. Um, but then when you have these kids and they become such so many years of your life and you see them grow and then having to say goodbye to them again and you don't, they don't, it feels like, oh, they don't need me anymore. Yeah. It's like losing like, a part because they're of grown up. Yeah. So it's yeah. like that, I mean, I'm, I'm not a mother and either of us are mothers. Um, um, I'm a mother to two cats and I understand. That, I'm so right. They're going to grow up and they're not going to need you. They're going to move out. They're going to go in their Listen, apartment. if anything happened to my cats, I would be a psychopath. So I, I, I related to her in those moments. But it's so sad because like, you know, oh, you, you once again, like, like we got with all the other characters seeing mm-hmm. like, oh, I totally understand. I feel for their struggle and I want to help them. But then also seeing maybe how that struggle morphs into something that is harmful, whether to the people around them or to themselves or whatever. And it's perfectly exemplified here especially with the harmfulness because you you feel for this woman and you know her other kids have grown already to a point where like they kind of like you know they're not going to cuddle up to mom anymore and shit like that so at the very least she wants to keep them this way forever her two little twins who love her and are young enough to be like mommy 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 Mm -hmm. so then of course there's the devastating like tea party with rat poison in which um she only ends up killing the groundskeeper's daughter that snuck out for a sleepover at their house. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is just, it's, she handles it so well. I mean, first of all, she's just beautiful. She's like a beautiful spirit the entire show. Mm-hmm. Just because, like, she's angelic and, you know, saying things like, my love and stuff like that. Like, you know, walking around the house in her beautiful, like, nightgowns and Let shit like that. Let me tell like you, that. I have been looking to try to find a robe, like any of the robes that she wears. Because I, know. I am so obsessed with them. It's I just I need them so badly I'm going to continue to look until I can find something because she just looks so gorgeous but I also feel like above everybody else's stories everybody's story in the show is like upsetting and sad to some degree but her story is the most tragic of all of them 
because, you know, she's, she had to go through all of that shit by herself. And then she had to spend all of those ensuing years just feeling alone and like her family abandoned her and they were taken from her and just devastated. It's so upsetting. I think that's why the last episode also is so, or the second to last episode is so hard to watch because you just know exactly what's going to happen and it's it's the last thing I want to see because she doesn't deserve anything that happens to her. It's so sad, but she also has such range and you just feel so deeply for her because Carla Gugina is a, an amazing actress mm-hmm. and just the depth that she brings to that character. I just, I, I could not let us finish this episode without talking about her briefly. I mean, no, and exactly what you're saying when you said, like, you know, she went through it alone. Yeah. Which, like, it, it's so interesting to then see, once again, because this is something that happens in real life, where, like, kids will pa- parallel their parents in so many ways and grow up to be their parents. Not always and not completely, um, but, you know, you think about Nell and her mother and how much that paralleled mm-hmm. and how she felt like she was alone and she was reaching out, but no one would believe her because no one really believed she ever saw the bent neck lady um, and shit like that. And, like, they even had scene in Screaming Mimi's that parallels in, in Nell's um, The Bent Neck Lady where she's sitting in the fucking same hotel room mm-hmm. almost in like the same bed Yep. where like she came back to, in Nell's it's her coming back to town claiming she's going to see the family but then she doesn't and she goes to Hill House and no one even knows she's there and then um, the moms um, she's claiming she's going to leave the family for a few days for her mental health and go somewhere else to visit her sister but she's secretly in the hotel room and nobody knows about it. And obviously they're both dealing with depression and shit like that and all that stuff that then leads to their inevitable suicides. Um, but then even with Hugh and Steve, which is another reason that like they most likely butt heads so much is because before everything that happened on that final night in the house, um, Hugh also debatably didn't believe in ghosts. Mm-hmm. You know, even though all the women in the family had like... I think, I can't remember exactly how she phrases it, but in one episode when she's telling, I think, Theo about how, like, you know, all of them feel things. Like, Shirley Mm -hmm. mumbles things in her sleep sometimes that are strange. And obviously Theo can touch things and feel things. And Nell is clearly, like, very open to seeing ghosts and spirits. Like, she sees all of it. She's very perceptive of it. Um, And the mom, clearly the whole time, has, like, feelings and has always had these, like, feelings about places and things or whatever where it feels like... The dad isn't outwardly dismissive of it, but he never talks about it in a way where he, like, it feels like he's like, oh, yeah. It's kind of just like, oh, that's just, like, your mother or whatever. So, like, in a very Steve way, he has to rationalize whatever's happening in his own head. I mean, he even tells Luke when Luke claims he saw something in the basement, like, oh, you can have the bowler hat if you say that, like, you know that big boys don't believe in, like, made-up things or whatever. Um where it isn't until it's thrown in his face and he has that devastating loss that he sees that he believes, which is why I think he butts head so much with Steve because Steve, who emulated his father, it's so clear when he was little and he wanted to, he was always being like, can I help? Can I help? Like, when his father suddenly, like, so he, you know, has always been like, you know, rational, very, you know, I'm the oldest brother and like, I believe what I see and blah, blah, blah. And like, ghosts aren't real, yada, yada, yada. You have to be strong. So when his father has this switch of being like, no, no, I finally understand now that I've, it's been shoved in my face. Like she always needed help and it was the house that was pushing her to it. And you know, the house is evil and this, that, and the other thing. Steve immediately is like, 
on top of all the other kids also probably losing trust for their father because he won't fully tell them what happened and you know, he comes back with fucking blood on his shirt um you know i think that's what really drove the wedge between him and steve is because he sees so much of himself in steve mm-hmm. and steve doesn't want to see any of himself and his father even though they are exact parallels in so many ways yeah. which is why then like obviously Steve is dismissive of Nell in many ways when, you know, are you off your met? When she's clearly doing actions and doing things that are a cry for help. And he's just more concerned about, like, you know, his book signing or whatever getting fucked up. Mm-hmm. Or him being like, she's off her meds. And, like, what's this doctor doing wrong? When it's just like, you know, why are you focusing on that and not focusing on, like, she's reaching out and she's trying to tell you something, but you refuse to, to hear it. Right. Um, and he thinks so, yeah. he's doing the right thing, too, which is so... It's what's frustrating about it because you can't even really be mad at him about it because exactly. he, really, he really truly believes that his family just has a like a history with mental illness and he's trying so hard to get his family the help that he thinks that they really need, which is a logical, rational thing to think. Yes. Um, but obviously within the context of the story, he's not correct. So it's it's hard to watch. But in almost any other – if this was a different genre of – you know storytelling we'd be like yeah he's the one he's the he's in the right he sees what's going on he understands like he's trying his best and he cares but it just he's just not he's just not right right and it's not sending a message that like it's easy to probably latch out of that and be like oh so it's saying that like it isn't mental health or blah blah it's not the case what more so i think you're supposed to take away from steve's character is not like he's wrong it's not about their mental health like no it's more so that like kind of what he gets told in I think episode 10 when he's having the fantasy about his wife being pregnant and she tells him the fuck off oh yeah um where she's just like you refuse to believe anything until you've taken it in and essentially exploited it on the page and like essentially take it everyone what everyone's told you that you're dismissive of and then shat it back out in the way that it works for you that's when you'll believe it and that's when it's true and it's Mm -hmm. real but until you get the chance to get like your like hands on it and twist it however works for you it doesn't mean anything so I feel like that's more so what we're supposed to take away from Steve's character he like is manipulative not I guess maybe manipulative like he's controlling but in a slightly different way than Shirley is who is also the female oldest um in the same way that like obviously Nell and Luke are similar in their struggles but in different ways um but yeah we can yeah. we could go on we, forever but I we really could talk about the show for many days because it as we both said it's an incredible show I wish that it was even longer I want more of it but Thank God that in this sad year of 2020 and this quarantine that we have been in for, what, seven months now, um, thank God we have now a brand new season, The Haunting of Bly Manor, which has dropped as we are recording this today. I know that we are both very excited to watch it, which is, you know, what inspired us to rewatch and discuss this season. Um, I mean, I think you're probably going to do the same thing as me, which is watch it over the course of I'm probably going to take about a week to watch it because yeah I mean not a because I'm sure it's going to be similar in themes and just heaviness just because that's Mike Flanagan's style in general um, mm-hmm. but also because it's very rare to find a show that I think hits all of the points for me and I think is so just incredible and I don't want to binge it I don't want to, you know, just digest it all in one sitting. I want to savor that shit. So I'm going to be watching it 
slowly and really taking it all in. I'm probably going to rewatch it immediately after watching it once Greg watches it. Um, so I can't wait. And I recommend anybody listening, if you haven't watched Hill House, I don't know why you're still listening, but watch it and then check out the new season, The Haunting of Bly Manor, because I'm sure it's going to be just as incredible. Yes. Um, the way that Mike Flanagan um, annihilated Ryan Murphy. Oh with... my god, Ryan Murphy wishes Ryan he Murphy wishes! Be. That crusty <sighs> bitch, he fucking wishes he had what fucking Mike Flanagan has. Oh. Like, oh, I can't even go off. Ooh, Flanagan's um, coming for his gig. I literally, Mike Flanagan, please adopt me. I'll fucking shovel your shit, bro. I don't even care. Like, please. 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 Anyway, um, yeah, everything you said, we're probably going to take several, not like a crazy amount of time because we're wanting, we're desperate and we want it so bad, oh, but yeah. also just to savor it, really take it in. Um, also because we obviously have our Halloween movie calendars, which if you need one, we tweeted them. They're on our Twitter. Um, we have two separate ones for our separate households. Um, so if any night you're like, oh, what should I watch tonight? Head over to our Twitter, look at our movie calendars. That's what we'll be watching. Um, but because yes, it's Halloween time. So we're watching our movie calendars and there's just so much content coming out spooky wise that mm-hmm. like... And also, unfortunately, there's other things I have to do with my day. I know, it's disgusting, other than sitting and watching content. So I don't have the time, honestly, as well, to sit and watch the 10 episodes, 10 hours, back to back to back to back to back. I think um, it's only nine episodes, not to break your heart. It's only nine episodes? It is. You know what? That's fine. I'd much rather have a show that's, like, shorter. Like, I don't want an episode to be a certain length just to be a certain length. Like, right. make it the exact thing it needs to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um... I'm so excited. Um, but yeah, so that is our our discussion. Truly abridged. I mean, even at like an hour 15, it's abridged. Um, of The Haunting of Hill House. As Alex said, we implore you to watch The Haunting of Hill House. If you've gone through this whole thing and you haven't watched it yet, I'm, I'm praying that maybe then us talking so deeply and so passionately about it will make you want to watch it and then watch Bly Manor. Um, but yeah, I love Mike Flanagan. Um, I love this show and the rest is confetti. Um, oh, that's so, the perfect way to end it. Yeah. That's so it. thank you for joining us on our first ever bone chilling binge. We will hopefully be doing some more of these with some other great spooky shows in the future. Absolutely. And other than that, as always, keep it creepy. Bye. Bye. Happy Halloween. Bye. Happy Halloween.